You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. This is Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. Democrats are not serious about a police reform bill at this stage of the game. If they were, they'd be making serious arguments. Instead, over in the United States Senate, you saw Senator Dick Durbin, who is white, uh, describe the legislation by Senator Tim Scott, a Republican who is black, as token legislation. Senator Scott is the only black Republican in the Senate. This is an obvious racist dog whistle. Here's the response from Senator Tim Scott. To think that on this day, as we try to make sure that fewer people lose confidence in this nation, to have the senator from Illinois refer to this process, this bill, this, this opportunity to restore hope and, and confidence and trust from the American people, from African Americans, from communities of color, to call this a token process hurts my soul for my country for our people. To think that the concept of anti-lynching that's a part of this legislation to be considered a token piece of legislation, because perhaps I'm African-American and I'm the only one on the side of the aisle, I don't know what he meant. But I can tell you that this day, to have those comments again hurts the soul. Democrats were not only making foolish arguments in the Senate, we saw the same in the House of Representatives. I shared on the podcast my desire to actually get something done, to improve policing in a way that doesn't federalize police, that doesn't defund, demoralize, blame the police, but that empowers better policing and that shares best practices and that collects the right data and information to inform the type of policing that will be safe for our citizens and law enforcement alike. And so you've got these varying proposals on no-knock warrants. I went over it on a prior episode. Democrats in the House want to end them for drug cases. I think Rand Paul wants to end them all together. Senator Scott wants to study them. And so I offer the amendment to study these no-knock warrants and their impact as we are doing the important work of, of making that policy. But as we're making it, we shouldn't be having no-knock warrants going on. So the Democrats would get what they want in the short term, but the Republicans could get the data to inform the right policy choices going forward, which I think is a fair deal. So uh, I offered that, and the Democrats rejected it. Here was Jerry Nadler's debate in opposition to my amendment. Uh, I recognize myself in opposition to the amendment. Uh, the amendment uh, purports to authorize a study uh, uh, after the... Uh, uh, ban and no-knock goes into effect, but uh, after the ban and no-knock goes into effect, there is nothing to study. So it's a waste. It's a wasteful amendment. Um, and Mr. and I urge I urge opposition to the amendment um, because the 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 um, urgency of enacting the ban on no-knock as contained in the bill is urgent to prevent uh, further deaths. And uh, so this amendment is very pernicious. And here's my response. To use a term that I wouldn't normally use, but that the chairman has used, the objection to my amendment is nonsense. The objection to my amendment is that we have to be in a rush to end no-knock warrants in drug cases. 
The amendment ends no-knock warrants in drug cases, but just during the duration of a study so we can find out what's going on. Is it really true that my friends in the majority are uncurious about the deployment of no-knock warrants? The only other substantive point the chairman made in opposition to my amendment is, well, there would be nothing to study because the no-knock warrants wouldn't be happening anymore. But I know how bright my Democrat colleagues are. I know that with all of the no-knock warrants that have already occurred, with the deaths like Breonna Taylor's death, we ought to get more information. If anything, it would inform on future policy choices. You're going to have to work with the Senate, with the administration, and with some Republicans. And on this issue, you know, I, I agree with the challenges with no-knock warrants, but if the only arguments against my amendment is that ending no-knock warrants are urgent and that, and that the study is pernicious, then you all know those arguments aren't being made in good faith. The, for the people watching at home, here's what's really going on. They want to end this hearing saying they took no Republican amendments. That, there is no other reason for you not to take this amendment and vote for it. I voted with you against some of my Republican colleagues when, on the matters of policy, I thought we could come together. So why, why not take a Republican amendment and work with us? I, I fear, and this is so sad, I wish this weren't the case, but I fear that the majority in this committee is so captive to the radical left, so captive to the people that really do want to defund the police. And by the way, I take, I take some of you at your word that you don't want to defund the police, but even if you don't want to defund the police, if you're so afraid of the elements of your party that do, that you're unwilling to accept any Republican amendment, even an amendment that does what you want while gathering information about the things you care about, it shows what a farce this has been. And particularly in a hearing, where our sincerity has been called into question, where our commitment to our own family members has been called into question, it really troubles me that you would be so close-minded. And by the way, like, you're not hurting us by doing this. You're hurting the next Breonna Taylor. You're hurting the next person that could be negatively impacted. So please, I know you've rushed this bill. I know that you don't want to have substantive hearings about the elements individually. I know that you want to get it to the floor. But at least don't be opposed to the collection of information that might help us on, on future discussions that we might be able to have on policing. And, and again, I, I would love to hear any real substantive objection to my amendment. You all know that the objections you heard from the chairman were nonsense. I don't even think he understands the amendment based on those objections. It's just that you want to end today saying you took no Republican amendments. That's what this is really about, and I'm saddened by that because we really have come here to work together. I also think it's important to protect the programs that we use to support our border security. I've spent time on the border with Andy Biggs. Uh, here's what we heard from law enforcement on the U.S.-Mexico border about the risks and violence associated. You have guys that come through here that this is what they do for a living. Yeah. They bring groups across, they bring drugs across. Some of them get here and they realize it's good money and they're willing to do it again. Um, a lot of the people we get here are still human beings being trafficked by the cartel. So they paid the cartel money and then the cartel made them transport drugs with them. And so they've been taken advantage of by the cartel, exploited. Um, you can see it's, look at, the, look at the terrain, this isn't easy. That was Sheriff Mark Lamb, uh, who works this border area in Arizona. 
sharing that important information. And so after spending time with Sheriff Lamb, it was important for me to make sure that we stood with those folks, whether they be in local law enforcement on the border, whether they be in the border patrol. And again, border patrol work hand in hand with local law enforcement in a lot of these places on the U.S.-Mexico border. And, and here was the argument I made to try to get uh, my colleagues to support our border patrol and ensure they had the best equipment. You're literally standing up for the, the cartels, calling them vulnerable communities that shouldn't have the full force of the United States government against them. You know, the gentleman from Georgia said, well, we should just fund those with, with U.S. government tax dollars. Look, if we can save money and get better efficiency, if that means one more Border Patrol agent gets to go home to their family, if that means there's one more piece of body armor for the folks who go and stand in the breach that Congressman Biggs, Congresswoman Lesko, I suspect others of you may represent, we're with them all the way. You're taking a drive-by shot at Border Patrol as you're trying to solve local policing, and everyone in America knows why. You're terrified of the squad, and you're giving up the agenda to them. You see, Democrats will virtue signal to these names and causes, but there really is no virtue in it when the reality is that they're trying to undermine our borders. I mean, you even had Democrats in Congress raising money for an organization that wanted to abolish the military, abolish prisons, abolish border patrol, abolish the police. And ultimately, that's not the America that I think we should live in. I think we should stand with border patrol and we ought to keep these programs in place so that the cartels don't overpower the brave Americans working to protect us all. Beverly Hills does not want your protests. They want your wokeness, but no protests or autonomous zones in Beverly Hills. The Daily Wire reporting that the local government there passed an emergency order to stop the assembly of more than 10 people. And apparently this comes after an Occupy protest that was out there last week playing loud music in the 90210 zip code between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. Now that's some cruel stuff, man. If you have got such a grievance with success that people who haven't even done anything to you, you think are worthy of you being out there playing music from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., just to terrorize them, just to keep them up. I mean, you know, this is not the way that we ought to treat our fellow Americans under any circumstance. So apparently in Beverly Hills, they got all worked up because there was looting and rioting taking place on Rodeo Drive. So if the place where they go to pick up their, you know, $8,000 purse is getting robbed, then they probably figure they're not too safe in their home. Uh, they also saw, you know, similar circumstances. Chicago's protest was a bit unique in that it largely involves graduate students at the University of Chicago. They disbanded after the campus police protecting their occupied headquarters refused to allow the residents to have pizza delivered or to use their bathrooms. So apparently if you shut off the bathrooms and don't let pizza get delivered, some of these autonomous zones uh, become very autonomous, if you know what I'm saying. They uh, they are no longer unto themselves. I don't know. I think that this is a pretty uh, bad thing to be spreading, where we embrace chaos over order and respect for one another in society. I don't suspect it'll spread because ultimately it's not successful. You know what's successful? The capitalism-based system that we've built that has generated more wealth, a higher standard of living, faster 
uh, increases in the standard of living than have ever been known at any, at any other time in human history. And we ought to be proud of that, uh, that that's happened under the United States of America and that we are able to be that great beacon of hope to the world. But we don't become more helpful to everyone else by diminishing what we have and making it as bad as what they've got. The way that we serve the world is being the very best ber version of ourselves so that other countries are inspired to be the best versions of themselves. If you listen to the House Judiciary Committee, you might think that the CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle, is like an ink blot. Everybody stares at it and sort of sees what they want to see. Here is the Congresswoman from the CHAZ, from the CHAZ District, Pramila Jayapal, explaining life in the Autonomous Zone. According to very credible news reports and our own sighting of, of the area, the reality is that these are uh, rumors that are being amplified by right-wing cable pundits and encouraging people to think that protesters are extorting businesses, um, engaging in other lawless behavior. Nothing could be further from the truth. The, the uh, protesters have been engaging in such terrible lawless activities, such as screening movies, holding public forums on social justice, and organizing poetry readings. In fact, at a news conference held last Friday, the chief of police again said that there were no formal reports of businesses being extorted by protesters. Another lie that is being perpetrated and spread by uh, right-wing media. Poetry readings and community gardens. Uh, this is uh, her description, but of course, as listeners to the podcast know, we had the Seattle chief of police audio where she was describing extended times to respond for 911, rapes, robberies, uh, other major law enforcement challenges. And so I figured, why just take the word of one particular member? Uh, let's go to the CHAZ. Let's hold a hearing there. Uh, we might have to contact like the Department of State to see if, uh, you know, we got to get like diplomatic immunity or something when we enter the CHAZ. Uh, but we ought to show America what the vision for the radical left uh, really looks like if it were visited on all our communities. So here's my effort to try to get Jerry Nadler to take us to the CHAZ. Mr. Chairman, there seems to be a good amount of dispute as to what life is like in the CHAZ. The gentlelady from Washington says it's like a peaceful poetry community garden, and yet we see these um, reports of rapes and delayed response time. Uh, we see videos of people assaulting each other and demanding race-based payments. And so uh, I would just ask the chairman, would you be willing to host a CODEL, a congressional delegation, <laughs> in the CHAZ so that we might all be able to go there and, and uh, show the country what's happening, observe it in real time, and then if uh, the CHAZ is something that the majority would like to have spread across the country, perhaps you can make that case in vivid color. But I'll yield to the chairman to answer whether or not he'd be willing to lead the CODEL to the CHAZ. But he did not take the bait at that effort. It turns out Greg Popovich, the head coach of the NBA's San Antonio Spurs, is pretty awful, calling the American flag an irrelevant symbol used for political reasons in an interview with the New York Times' Maureen Dowd. Man, you know, some of these people who have the opportunity to make the money they make playing or coaching a game have a hell of a lot of nerve to denigrate the flag. I, I wonder if they would have the same perspective 
if they would come to one dignified transfer with me at Dover. When you see some of America's bravest patriots who have laid down their life, you know, with that flag sewn onto their shoulder patch, when they see that flag draped across a casket of someone who died on the battlefield, you know, when they see that folded up flag handed to a surviving spouse who has to put life together, put a family together, um, all while dealing with this, this very unique sense of loss when you have to literally give the person you love the most to your country. So uh, having seen those things, having lived them in a district like mine, it's just so insulting to see a guy like Greg Popovich, who has everything, so show such little appreciation for the symbols that, well, you know what, they might not mean a lot to him. The American flag might not mean a lot to Popovich. I don't, look, this isn't like North Korea where we go and like force Popovich to tell us he loves the flag. But if it's not your thing, you know, to sit there and call it irrelevant and political, I think is is actively undermining. You know, I think that there's a way out of the answer if he wants a way out of the answer. But this is obviously someone with an axe to grind because he continued that uh, the donations of Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft to Donald Trump were, you know, oh, just beyond the pale. He called them hypocritical. You know, he talked about injustices perpetuated against the democracy as a result of Trump. You know, give me a freaking break, Greg Popovich. If Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft want to donate to Donald Trump, if they see the value in making this country great, if they see the fact that Donald Trump has actually grown our economy substantially the fastest period of economic expansion in the modern era for our country before coronavirus if they can't see the value in the experience he's had doing that and the importance of making sure that he's got the opportunity to continue doing it then shame on them thanks for listening to hot takes this has been congressman matt gates make sure to leave us a five-star rating and always subscribe so that you get your hot takes fresh delivered to your podcast feed each and every day We'll be back tomorrow with more hot takes.